Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Mario, Enda Kenny here. Boom, boom. Loving the podcast, by the way. Your man Connor sketches. <laughs> he was some crack. Listen, quick idea. How about you and I on a tandem bike trip around Ireland? We stop off at various towns. It'd be like the trip with your man Steve Cougar and Bob Ryden. Except instead of Italy, it's Kinnegad. Now, I do great impressions. Remember your man in different strokes. What you talking about, Willis? That's not racist, is it? Anyway, bye. Mario, Sam Conkey here. I must say the world of epidemiology uh, is really transfixed by your podcast. Now, I see Luke O'Neill, my colleague, is all over the media at the moment. And to be blunt, I'd like a piece of the action. Now, I'm a bit of a lunatic rock and roller myself, as you've probably heard. I have a segment for your show with that in mind. It's called Sam McConkey's Honky Tonky, where I recount stories of my insane past, like the time I didn't fully sterilise my hand after eating a Granny Smith apple. Gabriel Scally has never let me forget it. Anyway, call me. Hi, Mario. Miriam O'Callaghan here. You're you're sounding fantastic. Listen, I don't know if you saw Primetime this week, um, but we've had a lot of negative reaction to some of my co-hosts, um, particularly Sarah McInerney. Now, I mean, I think she's genuinely hilarious and genuinely lovely, um, but people haven't really, you know, taken to her. I think there's something... I don't know what quite it is. I don't know if you've noticed it. Anyway, um, you're a breath of fresh air. Love the podcast. Bye. Well, I've made it to episode four and what a brilliant ride through the podcasting world um, I've had so far and hopefully you've had with me. I've had great chats with Ian Dempsey, Ronan O'Gara and Connor Moore last week went down an absolute storm. I've released some brand new comedy sketches into the wild. Hope you've enjoyed those if you heard them. Um, And I've loved getting your emails, tweets and messages with really valuable feedback and suggestions. And I do read them all and uh, keep them coming. The fact that you've been listening has helped this podcast hover around the top of the charts since we launched last month, which has really helped other podcast fans to stumble across it. So what really helps is when you press follow on Spotify or subscribe for free on Apple. Um, So press that button because that really um, that really does it for us. Um, We've something totally fresh for you this week. Two brilliantly intelligent, irreverent and very funny ladies casting a sideways glance at some of the things going on right now in our world. It reminds me of um, the panel um, that I used to do on the Sunday Roast on Today FM. Uh, So we're going to be joined today by broadcaster Suzanne Kane and journalist, podcaster and star of No Limbs, No Limits, Joanne O'Reardon. They'll be with me in just a few minutes and they have a lot to say. You look back at pictures of being in a pub and like being crammed and some sweaty fella reaching across you trying to order a drink with his armpit rubbing off your bare shoulder. Like, I'm all right for all that stuff. I don't know what he was doing. I think he was reaching for my knife or something to cut my meat. And then Michal turned to both myself and my dad and was like, don't worry, I've got this. And he started like cutting up my meat for me like live at the event. They're trying to make a pandemic as sexy as possible. When Claire Byrne is on RTE doing a dramatic talk about a man cutting his wife's hair and making a shit of it, and that's the headline news on Claire Byrne, that's, that just says it all. I put a straw in between my lips and I just twirl it around. And, you know, a friend said it to me afterwards. She was like, you know, it looks like you're begging them to like go into the bathroom so you can do something else with them. You know, and I was like, no way. She was like, yeah, you might want to stop with the whole straw thing. <laughs> 
And we'll be hearing more from Suzanne and Joanne in just a few minutes. You're going to love it. Now, as a comedian, I've been doing sketches every morning, pretty much every day for the last 22 years. And during that time, I've noticed something, that things, events, start repeating themselves over and over again. It's a pattern. It's a cycle. I've actually pinned it down scientifically to between 8 and 13 years, things start repeating themselves. So I did a little bit of thinking and I wondered, has this always been the case? And I came up with a few findings. And I asked myself the question, do we humans ever learn from our mistakes? Now, I'm not just talking about mullets. I'm talking about something more serious than that. So, humbly, I present to you today the history of the last 100 years in three minutes. You ready? Now, I'm not an economics expert. I'm not a science expert. And I'm not a politician. But hey, it never stopped George Lee. So... What the hell? So here we go. A hundred years ago in 1921, the biggest song of that year was a beautiful song called I Ain't Got Nobody. There it is in the background by Marion Harris. Pretty little thing. At the time, we were emerging from a worldwide pandemic caused by a respiratory virus which nobody saw coming and which we were completely unprepared for. But we quickly got over that and forgot it. And we couldn't wait to get out and about and spend money again and have the crack in a time they called the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, roaring like a tiger, exactly. And people thought the fun would never end. But amazingly, it did. When the world's financial system collapsed completely in the Wall Street crash of 1929, an event that nobody saw coming and which we were completely unprepared for. At that time... Louis Armstrong, would you believe, was having a huge hit with, yeah, you guessed it, I Ain't Got Nobody. Or as he would have said, I Ain't Got Nobody. This led to a huge worldwide economic depression. Caused by the crash, that was, not Louis Armstrong. Period of unemployment followed, mass poverty, and the thing called austerity. People got upset, angry, frustrated with politicians. They started pinning their hopes on right-wing strongmen, authoritarians, fascists, you could call them. Old men with white moustaches just kind of told us and the Anglo-German naval agreement there's nothing to be worried about here as symbolic of the desire of our two people there's nothing to see never to go to war with one another again everything's going to be fine but one of these fascists ended up amazingly starting a world war which apparently nobody saw coming and we were totally unprepared for meanwhile As the world plunged into the abyss, Bing Crosby, would you believe, had a massive hit with, yeah, I ain't got nobody. Ah, the war ended. But that war cost us so much that we entered into a period of, yeah, you guessed it again, austerity and depression, otherwise known as the 1950s, around exactly the same time as a singer called Louis Prima had an unexpected hit with a song called, I Ain't Got Nobody. And so into the 60s we bounded. No, they were more sort of, uh, they were more swinging, not roaring, but good guess. Uh, we thought the fun would never end. Until 1973, Bell Bottoms, David Cassidy and a massive oil crisis. Which nobody saw coming and which we were totally unprepared for. The price of oil quadrupled. The world's economy was shocked. Sorry guys, yeah, more austerity, more depression. But we forgot all about that because we had the 1980s to think of. 
Oh, money, money, money. Get yourself as much as possible. Gorge yourself on money. It doesn't matter where you got it or how you made it. Just get it. Buy, buy, buy. Sell, sell, sell. Why not? Even a man in a film was telling to do as he said, Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. At exactly the same time, would you believe, as David Lee Roth from Van Halen had a hit with, Yeah! I ain't got nobody. We thought the fun would never end until it did with Black Monday in 1987. The world's financial markets collapsed again. A thing we never saw coming and which we were totally unprepared for. Totally unannounced. But listen, we forgot all about that. At this stage, we were used to it. And we had computers to think about. Computers? Yeah, it was called the dot com. It was a bubble. And then it burst. Yeah, it burst. About 13 years later in 2001. But we hardly registered that at this stage. We'd become inured to it. It was just a flesh wound. Anyway, it was time to start buying again. Computers? No. What? Houses. Great idea. Spend, spend, spend. I know. What about if people who couldn't afford to buy houses just bought houses anyway? Exactly. Another tiger. Miriam, the banks are fully capitalised, I guarantee you. And exactly, yeah. Old men with white moustaches told us that there was nothing to see here. America is the single greatest country in the world. Nothing to worry about. We could make it even greater. Until the banks collapsed all over the world. A situation we were totally unprepared for and nobody saw coming. Excuse me, I saw it coming. Yes, David, you saw it coming. Fair enough. Uh, Cue more austerity, cue more depression, cue people angry with politicians and pinning their hopes on right-wing authoritarian fascists and a worldwide pandemic which nobody saw coming and we were totally unprepared for? See what I mean? Anyway, that was my theory. And you know what I discovered about my theory? It's flawed. Why? It's flawed for one big reason. Because in 2021, nobody's had a hit with I Ain't Got Nobody. Until now. Because if somebody's going to do it, you know who it is, folks. Yeah, it's Luke O'Neill. Come on in, Luke. Hi, Mario. (laughs) I ain't got nobody. Wow, so the data tells us. Sing it, Luke. Nobody cares for me. Well done, Luke. Nobody cares for me. Come on, Mario. So sad and lonely. Sam McConkey. So sad and lonely. (laughs) Okay, I had a lot of fun making that. Um, That's the audio version, but I'm also going to put it to video, which I'm going to release in a few days. Um, And I'd love you to check it out. Just visit my Twitter, at GiftGrubMario, or Facebook page, Mario Rosenstock, or get in touch with me, as usual, on my own personal email. It's MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. And loads of you have been sending in your um, emails. So keep sending in your feedback, opinions, suggestions, general thoughts on the world, whatever. It's always great to hear from you. And I try to apply, to reply uh, to as many of your messages as possible. So let's get to our panel. And I'm delighted to be joined by Joanne O'Reardon and uh, Suzanne Kane, both formerly friends of the Sunday Roast when I was doing that on Today FM. Uh, and now they join me together on Mario's, uh, the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And Suzanne, uh, delighted you could join me. What are you casting into Mario's pod? Bejesus. Well, after our break, Mario, because we were on a break, it's lovely to be back uh, on your pod. I am yeah. throwing into yeah. the pod today. Um, it's kind of a combination of two things, but it, you know, we're told it takes a village, Mario, that uh, we all come around each other when we bring new life into this world. So 
you and I had talked uh, on your show on Today FM about how last year had ended or the year before last, I should say, had ended and I had a miscarriage and things were pretty horrible and I was very sad. And then in April last year, as the world closed its doors, I was the only car on the road sneaking out to buy a pregnancy test uh, and found out that I was pregnant. So I never believed because, you know, we were having a pandemic for two weeks. Like it was, <laughs> we were never having a long term pandemic. It was going to be like the snow. Um, so it That's never right. occurred to me that we would, I would be going to all of my apartment or all my appointments on my own. And that come December, pending on restrictions, I didn't know whether my husband would be with me coming into the hospital, whether he would be allowed into the hospital, whether he would be there for the birth of the baby. Um, we didn't know anything. So I think myself, like so many other pregnant women, um, just kind of held our breaths collectively. And some still very much are because they're still going through their pandemic pregnancies. And in December, I brought home my little girl to silence. So there was no knocking on the door of the village that were coming in to wrap their arms in support and drop off a dinner or a grandparent trying to get in before the other grandparent to get that squeeze or to do that kind of community feeling of you go and have a sleep, I'll take the baby and or do any of those things. Everything was done. We introduced Sadie on FaceTime from the hospital because no one would be coming into the hospital. All the video calls, that's all they've been. There's been no squeezes. There's been no people calling to the door now. And in some respects, like everybody has aunties and uncles you'd be delighted not to see, do you know? So a pandemic works in that respect. But the other side of it is, is that we look at this bigger picture of this pandemic and we're very much entrenched in it at the moment. But I think the bigger picture of where we're going and the the repercussions in two and three years time of so many voices and mine being that of a woman who's gone through a pandemic and thankfully brought my baby home. But at the weekend that Sadie was born, a lady two doors down, unfortunately didn't have that experience and she didn't get to bring her baby home, but had to go in alone initially without her husband. So I think that the village being silent is a very, very precarious place for a country that thrives on community and we we thrive on family and by the flip of that it's that when we lose when we grieve we come together and and when we bring a baby we come together and they are our fundamental basis I think of as Irish people but as humans that we thrive on so it's it's been a a really strange strange time which kind of leads you to wonder how we're here and how maybe our government can become so out of touch with where we are. You know, it, it feels that there's a circus going on in town in the convention centre. Like you and I both know, and Joanne, you're probably the same. You're told by your parents, respect each other. You know, speak nicely to people. Be kind. Come on, it's a, it's a basic fundamental. I, I had a baby you know, 16 weeks ago, I will teach her to be kind. I'll tell my six-year-old, don't talk to your friend like that. And in front of our eyes, we see on telly a show that plays out. And we've our central characters in the middle that are playing those roles. And then you've your characters on the outside that are throwing stones in. It just seems like 
we were all in this together last April and that feeling of community when Leo stood up on that podium and told us how if we winter this out, we'll summer it together. And we're facing into another summer and the wheels have come off. And now people are just trying to figure out how they survive in their own little bubble because everywhere else around them is what everybody's just doing to survive because if those who are looking after us, you know, the people who are in charge or is meant to show the respect, if they're not playing the game, then why should we? Suzanne, I know that you one of the things you're going to come on to in a minute is a complete um, breakdown in the communication process that has been associated with what you just talked about there. But before you do that, actually, I'd like to come to Joanne, because um, if if Suzanne has spent the last year, um, you know, pregnancy tests and then um, a full pregnancy and then successfully having the baby in this emptiness, this 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 silent village, as she described it. How how has your last year been? Because I haven't seen you in over well over a year. Um, and uh, how how has your last been in comparison to Suzanne's? Yeah, well, unlike Suzanne, I haven't had any um, children of any kind. I've been very not exciting um, in that regard. Um, so congrats, Suzanne, on your new arrival. But yeah, no, I think for me, I'm like everyone else. I've just had to adapt over time the first I suppose the first three months um I was very like you know okay I'm on like a pause like a career pause more than anything else so I just kind of did other stuff that you know I thought I would never have the time for I started taking up yoga a little bit more I started with my pilates because I was like oh I need to rebuild a routine here like in order to kind of keep sane and you know for the first while I just kind of took up little hobbies to kind of keep me entertained and then around kind of June or July I was like this is so boring like what am I going to do in my life you know like I mean anything that I had aspired to be in 2020 you know I aspired to go to Tokyo for the Paralympics you know I aspired to push through in terms of the sports journalism and stuff like that that all came to a very quick halt like very quickly and it was something I probably struggled to deal with as well um and I think like as Suzanne was saying like I couldn't exactly go hang out with my friends you know and socialize with them to kind of block out what was going on in the the career aspect you know I couldn't you know talk to my grandmother you know it was just me my parents um my my healthcare assistant who'd come in you know for the for the five days a week I suppose as well it was awkward like for for people with disabilities which is kind of overlooked as well that you know, we're constantly being told, cut back your contacts, cut back your contacts, like do this, do that. I think if I actually put myself in a paper bag and wrapped it up, I would, that's as far as I can go in terms of cutting back my contacts. Um, but for people living independently with disabilities, that necessarily can't be the case because we rely on people coming into us at nine, eight o'clock in the morning, whatever you want to take us, you know, to the bathroom, shower us, you know, like do all these kind of things. So at the start, I made the really tough decision and actually, um, fire is a bit dramatic but I had to cut out one of my PAs um, because she wanted to work with other people and you know it was at that stage where we didn't know how transmissible uh, the virus was so I had to cut one of them back I had to tell the other girl Gina who's here with me um, that if she wanted to work with me it was just me and just me only um, so she took a financial hit in that way so just kind of minor things like that I think a lot of people would take for granted like I'm not even talking about like stuff like going somewhere I'm talking about having someone to get you up in the morning like I'm talking about really minor things like that um, so yeah, it was a little bit difficult, but then over a while, over a, a while, I suppose I, I like everyone else is a bit like, right, if I have a really bad attitude going into this, 
Um, if I'm negative, if I'm down in the dumps, that's the energy I'm obviously going to attract and I'm going to be negative and everyone's going to be negative around me. So I can't be out there spouting negativity or having bad vibes when I go into company meetings and things like that. So myself and Pep Talk, um, Bernard Brogan's other side gig, um, we basically decided to do a full on like diversity and inclusion scheme um, and basically decided to go into companies and talk about their, their diversity inclusion and how we've kind of realized now this is what it's like to live in isolation. But for a lot of people in minorities, so disability, race, uh, sexuality, whatever that may, that may be, isolation is a big factor. And if it's something that we all don't like and we all don't want to be a part of, then we need to start working together as a community post-COVID to try and create a world that isn't isolated, that isn't isolating people of minorities and encourage them to come forward and to have better access into whatever it is they want to be. So yeah, that's basically it. And now I'm here talking to you. So, you know, it all comes in circles, I suppose. I live across from a graveyard, which is another thing. So myself and my mother, we had... um, Not to, you know, not to, um, okay. not to get entertainment out of other people. No, Joanne, just keep it coming. We want it to get as dark as possible. We want, we want this podcast to be as dark we, as possible, please. So what we want we is minorities, are- tick. Graveyards, tick. Depression, tick. Mental health, tick. <laughs> we, um, myself, my PA and uh, my mom, we actually like, we're learning like what was going on in the community just by staring across at the graveyard to see who was doing what. And one thing that we really enjoyed watching, and I think my mom was like very close to calling the guards, was that people, when we were strapped in our 5K the first time, people started using the graveyard as a jogging route. I'm not joking like when I tell you this, because it's a hill, like it's a hill to go up to the graveyard. So people started using the graveyard for jogging and that provided great entertainment for a while. So that's the stuff that we had to do to keep ourselves entertained. So yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's great and you do bring up a good point actually Joanne about the um, the dastardly iPhone and how it keeps bringing up these uh, these these lovely memories we've had because that happens to me as well and I, I have these lovely um, you know the memories one where it does a little video and you can choose the different music whether it's upbeat or kind of somber or nostalgic and I have all these little nostalgic little uh, photo video montages of me and my daughter and, and Dash away on holidays jumping into pools and smiling at each other while we smather pizza all over each other's faces and it really is yes it's horrific the way the, way the iPhone it should be banned actually the iPhones should we stop giving us these memories it'll send us over the top and we'll end up topping ourselves as well which is another tick on my list here Joanne thank you very much graveyards topping yourself but Suzanne (laughs) the other thing you were going to get on to as well was the communication aspect of the um, of this because you're very you were very interesting on this I know you appeared on Pat Kenny a few weeks ago and I actually texted you after it because you were very interesting on it but the communication aspect on this has been a difficult um, as well yeah, I think um, like I always just go back to that thing. I worked for Ryanair a million years ago and I had a really good DSM who was my boss because I got I got uh, promoted to the customer service desk. Now, I don't know whether that's a promotion in Ryanair, to be perfectly honest, because it just basically puts a big target on your head for the people who say typical Ryanair. But Khan had always said, <laughs> even if you have no information, just tell them something. Tell them you have no information. So it's like, Ryanair flight F4192 to Stansted has been cancelled and you're reading this out and you can see the man coming towards you who's just like, this is typical Ryanair. He's he's ready to rip your face off because he has an appointment in London and that is more important than anything else in the world. But when you greet him and do that, I, I fully understand. I totally get where you're coming from. I'm so sorry. 
look, there's a problem with the plane and we can't take off for the next hour. But look, we're doing our very best to get you on the next. So it's just given that 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 bit of information. And like, like, ironically, like I studied radio and I worked in pirate radio and I really wanted to like be full time in radio. I used to take those announcements as like my moment to do my link. So I'd be like down on the customer service desk and the old PRA going, this is a Ryanair announcement on passengers traveling F4162 to Leeds, Bradford. Unfortunately, there's a slight delay. So I'd give them the information. And it just seemed like a really basic tool. But actually, it made my life so much easier. Right. So. You look at Simon Harris and look, whatever your political affiliation, I don't believe they exist anymore, political affiliations, because you could watch someone on telly from a political party one day go, Jesus, they're making sense. And the next day you're like, I'm sorry, where did you come from? What are you talking about today? But Simon Harris does an update on his iPhone or whatever phone he has onto Insta and goes, listen, I get it. It's a bag of shit. Well, he doesn't say it's a bag of shit, but you know what I mean? He's saying it's a bag of shit, right? And he's going... This is where we're at. And I know everybody's frustrated. Like, is there any harm in El Mihal, his son, stick him on it as well, because everybody needs an update in their life with a bit of him, get him involved or whatever the case maybe is, or Leo to come on and go, listen, we get it. Like, we've made a bags of the vaccinations. Actually, they're never going to admit they've made a bags of anything. So just come on and go. We're doing our best and we know things are slow. Like if you look over at New Zealand, like Jacinta Ardan constantly uses those channels of social media to say, here's where we're at. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's the situation. So to me, it just seems like in a day and age that, you know, with no disrespect to my parents, but it's not my parents' political age. It's our political age. And if you're pushing us forward to this new world that we're going to live in and there's going to be a new political you know party as it were going forward that we're all going to vote or buy in from then you need to respect the nation that you're leading and speak to them it doesn't have to be on a podium giving us the facts and the figures you can allow yourself I believe as a politician you can allow yourself to be here when we all go to the toilet Michal and Leo do you know uh, no, I don't actually go to the toilet at all. Um, I, I actually don't use uh, toilets as a human. I'm not a human being. Uh, you you do raise an interesting point, Suzanne, um, there. And the communication has been a difficulty. Um, and at the beginning, I think you were right. Communication was a bit better. And I would agree with you as well that I think Simon Harris has been quite good on the communication. I think, unfortunately, the man who was Minister for Health is extremely poor on communication. And that is not because he is necessarily a poor communicator. He's actually, in a way, in certain levels, he's an exceptionally good communicator. I'm talking about Stephen Donnelly, of course. The Mm. only problem is, I mean, when I'm doing him on Gift Grub and everything, I make him sound, I have this thing in my phone called Corporate Bullshit Generator. So it's it's an app you can get on your phone which generates corporate bullshit. And you just press buttons, uh, keep pressing and refreshing. And it'll say things like, so to progressively fashion intermandated functionalities across an expanded array of benefits and bandwidths and adapting architectures and applications within action items, it's necessary to superimpose adaptive and agile benefits to best practices and catalysts for change. And that's the kind of stuff that Stephen Donnelly comes out with. And that's the kind of stuff that all of us are going, shut the fuck up, will you? And just speak English. Maybe just go on TikTok and do a stupid dance and pull your pants down. I don't know. And just tell us that you don't know shit. But unfortunately, they they don't do that. So, yeah. Joanne, do you have any observations yourself about the communication 
Yeah, definitely. Like I think Suzanne is right. I think it just has to be an, an accessible kind of communication that just like does not exist. And I kind of feel like every time that I do see Stephen Donnelly, like I just kind of see him as like a teenager who's been told off by his mom and doesn't want to do the thing because his mom has told him off, you know, like just that kind of like sulky teen vibe. And I don't think that's any like meanness towards him. I think he just looks like someone who if you told him that he's wrong, he just might not believe it for a while. Like I'm the same. So like I completely understand um and then it's kind of funny as well um like the whole I suppose thing with Michal Martin and it's just everything um I have no political affiliation whatsoever so I would agree with Suzanne on that like I'm definitely an individual more than a uh, like a political party per se um but yeah it's really funny when it comes to Michal Martin because there is a joke as well at home um about him being my second dad um for for a random context yeah so um yeah whenever we're at uh, political events or when I used to go to political events way back when I sold in my um my my lanyard to sports um yeah he used to always sit next to me and we used to always just talk about because I was friendly with his son in college the the other the other son the attractive one and uh yeah we used to just kind of talk away about that and I remember at one event my dad was sitting next to me and he got up to I don't know what he was doing. I think he was reaching for my knife or something to cut my meat. And then Michal turned to both myself and my dad and was like, don't worry, I've got this. And he started like cutting up my meat for me, like live at the event. Like, I'm pretty sure if I said, can you feed me, Michal? He would have fed me like there and then like on the spot. Like he was that keen to like, you know, <laughs> be, my, be my friend. And um, another weird thing about us as well is that whenever uh, like Roy Keane was at an event that we were at, and uh, I was asking my dad to take a picture and Michal Martin was like, don't worry, I've got it, Joe. And he took out his phone and started like taking pictures and sent them like to my phone so I could have them like forevermore. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like that's that's the level um, of second dad we're actually talking about here. Um, and I think he has heard about it. And I think he does kind of generally appreciate that at least one person in the country that's not his actual direct family likes him. <laughs> Look, I think even as like journalists and stuff like that, like we do have to be responsible as well with the stuff that we're putting out there. Like we're all frustrated and I think we all want our own individual sector to come back at some stage. I know for a fact I want sports back. So naturally when there's a thing released on sports and how it doesn't give out um, viruses um, or anything like that, obviously I'm hitting the retweet and I'm writing about it, you know, the following week, you know, different things. But we just have to be a little bit more understanding. And I think we just have to know that this virus, it's so unpredictable. Um, And probably, you know, the other thing is that if we do decide to ban the EU from entering our country, Maybe we've banned people with the vaccines in the process as well. So maybe, you know, I think you just kind of have <laughs> yeah. to have a bit of political, you know, political ideas yes, to yes. actually kind of maybe understand that yes. what's going behind, yes. going on in the convention center and Leinster House. You know, maybe there's a lot more to it than what we actually would understand as a nation. Hey, Joanne, um, we're going to change tack a minute. Uh, tell me about SAG Awards and Zoom. Um, you had a couple of interesting things to say about this whole area. Yeah, I'm really here to bring down the whole vibe of this podcast. Like Suzanne is making very interesting points and I'm just here in the corner of my bad Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, no, I think um, for me, I look, I'm obsessed with award season. Award season is literally my bread and butter. I love looking at dresses. I love talking about who's won what and who's wearing what and who made a fool of themselves because there's always one person. Um, so yeah, I found it really funny over the last kind of few months or so, like SAGs, you know, um, Grammys, you know, like everything in between that they've obviously turned to online and that they're kind of hoping that 
there is an online realm um, for these kind of awards, which I think if anyone who's been to an award show that's now online, you know, there is no realm in society for that and there is no need for it whatsoever. Um, and I am one of those people who do turn up to these awards not that I'm going to the SAGs or the Oscars or the Grammys, um, but I'm turning up to like local sports partnership awards in just a T-shirt. And I'm hoping that they don't see down below, um, you know, going full Anchorman style. Um, but yeah, no, I think it is kind of just really amusing <laughs> to see. I think probably the, the, in terms of who got it right the most, I would say the Grammys had mixed it, mixed it up with the lives and the pre-recorded and just decided everyone needs to be on the stage at some stage. How they get onto a stage, we'll figure that out in our own time. Whereas every other award show has decided, let's go into the home of celebrities while they're wearing lovely Gucci gowns and lovely Prada outfits and uh, Dolce and whatever is uh, is popular these days. You can tell I'm very up to date my fashion. Um, but yeah, and I think even though a part of me is like sitting there going, geez, it must be awful to show up to these awards. But then I'm looking and they're sitting outside by their swimming pool in a really nice dress. You know, Kerry Washington jumped into a pool in her dress. You know, I'm seeing Jason Sudeikis in his lovely well now divorced house um wearing a jumper wearing loads of jumpers now to different award shows so he's kind of getting the vibe and a part of me is just sitting thinking going oh my god we've been so like hooked on zoom and hooked on any other platform teams is another one i literally have always said if i meet the inventor of teams i'm putting them in a chokehold because I don't think they've agreed with Apple in terms of how to get their platform like onto a MacBook whatsoever. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just kind of becoming a thing where, well, for me personally, and especially given my job, I'm finding it incredibly hard to disconnect. I'm finding it incredibly hard to like turn off the phone. I'm finding it incredibly hard to not log on to a ridiculous Zoom at half seven at night to try and figure out about something. Um, and yeah, like even though it's a way to connect people and it's a way for us all to be together and that's great, I'm all for that. I think people have taken it uh, probably steps too far trying to figure out different ways to be fun and creative on Zoom. I think Suzanne was saying that her um, newborn was like introduced to everyone on FaceTime. Stuff like that is lovely. But when I get a text from like, um, you know, a, a football club nearby and they're saying we're doing Zoom bingo and Zoom parties. Do you want to participate? I'm like, oh, my God. And then I actually join into Zoom bingo. And I was in one recently in Terman up in Donegal, like weirdly. Um, and I was joined from people from Kerry, Mayo, Galway. And like, these are like, not to be mean, these are like the biddies you'd see at bingo, like all the time. Like they, you could tell that they were like aggressive on the other side of the camera. Like they turn off their microphones and go, you called out the wrong number, John. And then they get like really aggressive and you're on the other side and you're like, oh my God, it's going to kick off on Terman bingo. It's going to be so cool. And that's really where I'm also getting my excitement these days. And then eventually I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I doing this in my life? Like, what have I done in a past life to deserve this? But yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I want now that you said that, Joanne, I want to ask you both a question, right? I, I had a thought about this the other day and I was just wondering, does, had you any thoughts about it? This is uh, the idea that like w when people talk about we'll all come out of this thing and oh, we'll get back together. Um, we'll do all this stuff and I can't wait to do this and I can't wait to hug people and I can't wait to squeeze people and I can't wait to have a drink with people and I can't wait to rub shoulders with people and I can't wait to cough in somebody's face in a theatre or laugh my guts up in somebody's cheeks near me. I'm kind of wondering, do you think there's anybody or is there anybody or do you have any feeling that in some sense that this has become, <clears throat> we've become so used to this new life that some people will feel um, uh, more aloof almost about going back to that old life, that they will cower away 
So it's January 19th, 2022. And everybody goes, it's the day. It's the day. We're all going to the pub. Nine of us are meeting and we're going to meet. And you just go, do you know what, lads? Can you ring me on Zoom? <laughs> I'll just stay at home. And the eight of you can go to the pub. I kind of feel like doing it on Zoom tonight, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I'm just wondering, is that going to creep into society at all? Uh, that that some people will some people will have regressed. Some people will have regressed and just stay there. Well, we, my, PJ and I have talked about this quite a lot on the podcast because, as you know, so PJ is like was fully like the most unsociable person anyway prior to like pandemic is perfect for him. He loves a pandemic because he just gets to sit in his mass and he doesn't even do a Zoom. Like we, we we're now back in studio recording our podcast, but even trying to get him on a Zoom was a nightmare. But <clears throat> my husband and I have spoken about this and it's like. I kind of sat before when I was starting to have a mid, you know, nervous breakdown around, I'd say, maybe verging towards February when the kids weren't back in school, the creches weren't open, we had a newborn at home, my husband was in work and it was all very shit, like this is not a good boat to be on. I was like, all I need is the schools to open. I don't give a shit about a pub. I just need the schools to open. That's all I need to happen is I need my six-year-old to be able to go and interact with another human and not say ma'am and ask for food. I've never seen two small people consume as much amount of food in my life, right? So the the going to the pub and being around people and having to be social, I'm actually all right. Actually, I've turned out that I'm probably a bit like PJ. I'm pretty not mad into being so super social. You look back at pictures of being in a pub and like being crammed and some sweaty fella reaching across you trying to order a drink with his armpit rubbing off your bare shoulder. Like I'm all right for all that stuff. Like I, I have low expectations now. Pand- maybe the pandemic has worn me down. But like for me, I just like to go and have a meal handed to me that no one said ma'am or said I need to poo or I need to stop in the middle of it to do something or that I have to wash up or clean up after that's like that's pretty that's that's as high as my expectations go I don't need to be in a sweaty pub with a man with a sweaty arms ordering a pint saying all right love how's getting on that pandemic was absolutely poxy wasn't it yeah yeah and the other thing I suppose uh, that 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 that's brought home to me as well is everybody um forever going on about you know I, I can't see my I can't see my 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 grandmother my grandfather and I can't see my my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and, and I can't see my first cousin either or my uncles and they're so special to me and my aunts and you know my uncles and my aunts and we used to hug the whole time and my grannies and my gra- and I'm going sorry when did you become so connected with your family I'm not so sure uh, that everybody in this country is as connected with their family as you're making yourself out to be and a lot of families bloody well hate each other and spend as much time away from each other as possible so I I kind of wonder is this a a little slight bit of a myth or am I being um, am I being a killjoy about the whole thing no you're definitely not like I mean we had family what three weeks ago um because you know my grandmother had passed away like on covid related um and i was a bit like you mario like they all came into the house and i was like who the fuck are you like oh my god and literally i actually mistook a cousin who i hadn't seen in a while for my other cousin's boyfriend because i hadn't seen them in a while either and i literally went oh so you're going out with blah 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 and he went no i'm 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 the sis i'm the brother and i was like oh Right. I was like, I just, it's been a really long time since I saw you, dude. Like, I'm very sorry. Like, I think the last time I saw you was another family funeral. Um, But yeah, no, I completely agree, Mario. Like, I literally see, like, people who I'm friends with and they're like, oh my God, like, I haven't seen so-and-so in a long time. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure pre-pandemic you hated her. Um, And I think the other thing as well that is making me laugh is that me and my friends, so a bunch of us now have, are like newly, newly, newly single, which is really funny. And we're all trying to like navigate this like ridiculous world of like dating in a pandemic. 
and it's literally sending it's sending them over the edge like I can like I can already feel it already like from them so they know for a fact I'll never do online dating like in a month of Sundays like I'm not into it like I'm not Tinder's poster girl for someone who's getting dates off Tinder like I have no limbs like I have to rely on wit and charm when I'm in the outdoors and in the pub and stuff like that like that's my that's my go-to flirting thing and the other thing that I, I, do is I can twirl a, I, I, can, <laughs> I can twirl a straw in my mouth and that gets me free drinks you know so like different things I have to use the other things at hand you know to make sure that I get dates and stuff and that's fine mm. So that's why I'll never do online dating because you can't upload pictures of you twirling straws on Tinder. You'd look ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so basically yeah. they're all teaching me how to like slide into people's DMs. And I've literally, I'm literally in there and I'm like, oh my God, like this is, this is new world order. Like this is, I never thought I'd have to get like crash course on sliding into people's DMs. And it's like the most traumatic experience. Like I have to say like of my life, like I've never like experience anything like it so like Suzanne I'm not into the whole pub scene and I don't want to like do it but I definitely do miss going out and using whatever social skills someone has given me from above um in order to like obtain like dates or meeting new people or creating memories and stuff like that because you know trying to do the whole online dating it's just not working for me pal like it's just it's just not mm-hmm. if anyone was listening to the pod the dms are open like I'll take anything at this stage but <laughs> <laughs> When you do the twirling, when, uh, Joanne, when you do the twirling of the straw in your mouth, is that a, um, a, a is that a flirtatious thing that you're doing, or is it a, a signal to, to for somebody to buy you a drink? Are you encouraging somebody to buy you a drink, or are you flirting with them? Which one is it? I call it like I think if David Attenborough was watching me, it'd be like the time that bird had to do a dance and like change its feathers. Like I think that's how I would like describe it. Like maybe more of like a mating call, or like look 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 really attractive person. This is something cool I can do. You know, you can kick a football and score winners in a county final. I can twirl straws. But no, basically what it is, and you can obviously try it for yourselves, is I put a straw in between my lips and I just twirl it around, like using my lips and bring it back to center. So no hands, no tongue, no teeth. Um, and you know, a friend said it to me afterwards. She was like, you know, like when you do that. Like, it looks like you're begging them to, like, go into the bathroom so you can do something else with them, you know? And I was like, no way. She was like, yeah, you might want to stop with the whole straw thing. <laughs> okay, I get it. Well, I mean, on my... on I, I, Maybe I was being a bit... Maybe I was being a bit mean about the whole uh, we hate each other before the pandemic, so why would we want to see each other after the pandemic? But um, I've had a bit of a recurring nightmare now as well myself because people go, I'd say... The thing they say to me all the time is, I'd say you can't wait to get on stage again. And for the six, first, first six months during this thing, I was there, oh, but you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe how eager I am to get back on stage again. Then after a year went by, they'd say, I'd say you're gutting to get back on stage again. And I was going, yeah, stage. I'm getting really, really scared about that now. And uh, 13, 14 months into it, it's like, I don't know. I'm having these dreams that I'll, you know, walk onto stage and it'll be just like I'm naked. You know, one of those dreams where I'm naked and everybody can see me naked and I'll just run off again. And I'll have, lo- I'll have lost the trick of performing, that it's like this trick that you had and that you don't have anymore. Um, so I'm a bit scared about that. Um, so basically, I'm just saying that I'm not entirely convinced that we will be as social with each other um, and running back to exactly join each other in the pubs and all that sort of stuff and clubs as, as we once as we once uh, uh, thought we would be. Um, guys, what I want to do now is find is I want to throw what I had into the uh, podcast. And that was, yeah, um, here's what I'm throwing in, right? I'm throwing in, well, where do I start? I'm actually going to throw in I'm going to throw in Claire Burns' 
reconstruction programs on Claire Byrne Live. So this really, really, um, this really got my goat, right? So last week, I turned on Claire Byrne and out Claire Byrne came with a toy Hurley and a toy helmet. (laughs) And she came out with two toy pints of Guinness. And she came out with a block that said five kilometers on it. Now, the whole thing was like an episode of fucking Bosco as far as I was concerned, except a thwarted, gnarled episode of Bosco taking place at 11 p.m. at night. And I thought she was going to pop out of her box and go, Hello, everybody! Welcome to Clareburn Live! And she actually then started talking about when we might be able to go back to the zoo. And I literally thought the music was going to start and she was going to go, Knock, knock, anymore. Come with me through the magic door. And back she'd go to the zoo. And I found that it was... um Infantilizing. I found that it was patronizing and infantilizing. And I thought that the tone of the program was treating us as, as if we'd, the, the pandemic has turned us into a bunch of vegetables. We don't know very much. We're not able to receive information very well. But for those of you out there who are available to receive information well, here's all the steps we have to do when we're allowed. And it led me on to my, my second thought. And that was that my, I'm wondering if the media is all very one-sided when it comes to the dissemination of the information um, in relation to the pandemic. And what I mean by that is, is I was listening to The Stand the other day with Eamon Dunphy and Verona Murphy was on. And Verona Murphy was um, part of the Road Hauliers Association and she's an independent TD now in Wexford. And I must say that I've always found her a beacon of common sense. But... She um, stands at a kind of a different polar end of the argument to what might be regarded as the establishment in this country. I mean, she was making a complete mockery of the quarantine hotels business, exposing it as being kind of utterly a fiasco. And um, I, I found her very interesting to listen to and that I found that a lot of that she was making a lot of sense. And I think that other people on her side of the fence or whatever um, aren't really been given a fair shout by the media. I mean, in your paper, uh, Joanne, uh, the Irish Times, uh, Dr. Martin Feehealy, for example, um, was given one or two columns and maybe he appeared one or t- once or twice maybe on prime time. But really, we've all had to toe the line, really, and accept a kind of, uh, accept a, kind of a status quo that the media has given us. And I'm kind of wondering why. And I kind of worked it out myself that, for me, it's the government... Are uh, are terrified of Enfet, especially what after what happened at Christmas, and RTE, our national broadcaster, are terrified of the government. And one of the reasons I think they're terrified of the government is because of the financially catastrophic position that RTE find themselves in. RTE, for example, this year, um, for example, said for the first time in absolutely years, oh, we made five million profit. Yeah, that's because you didn't actually make anything. So the first year you actually do any good at all is the one year you don't make anything or go anywhere or do anything. Um, And they are completely, it seems to me, behoven to the government for, for example, future financial support. And so this kind of line is, is all holding the line, if you like. The media is afraid of the government and the government is afraid of Enfet. And I'm just putting out my theory that that has led to a very um, one-sided view that we're being given of, of, of this pandemic. And that's my question to, to maybe you, Suzanne. I, is there anything in what I'm saying? Or do you think that the view that we're being given is all, all in all fair enough considering what we're going through? Mario, what else would you expect for God's sake? 
<laughs> I think uh, I I I love what you're saying about Claire Byrne because we had a very similar conversation in this house that it, it had all gone a bit red top. It had all gone a bit like man cuts woman's hair. It's his wife. We'll discuss what happens after the break. And it's like, you know, but by the same token, then because <laughs> we're churning out the same COVID shit day in, day out, we get it. We're not allowed to leave our gaffes. We can't go past five kilometers. There's nothing to tell us. There is no information. So, like, who knew, right, that there was a professor sitting in his lab doing his job 16 months ago, right? And he's just doing his own business. Not not, not anywhere. And all of a sudden, Luke O'Neill has become a public figure of this country. Like, he is, he's like, he's synonymous with this COVID because it was like this instant latch on to, right, who can we find Who's an expert? And what? So and so, the same experts are being churned out. Across. There's no other polar op- opinion anymore. So it's McConkey and O'Neill, and the same people are being used across all the same shows and all the same. Pod. I'm not saying that their opinion is wrong. I'm just saying we have the same thing going on, right? And then it's almost like you see the editors, and they're like, "Oh Jesus, what are we going to write about today?" I heard a guard got his hair cut. I don't believe it. Yeah, by another guard who used to be a barber. I don't believe, put it on the front page, exclusive. Guard cuts other guards' hair. It's like, these are guards who are getting spat in the face for telling people not to be out. But we've decided that we'll go with front page headline news as an exclusive that a guard cut the other guards' hair who are working in contact with each other in cars. Anyway, you know, it just, it seems that there's, there's, we have no narrative anymore because how could you? We are literally living Groundhog Day, day in, day out. And then they almost get like a hard on for when, there's new news. So as in there's talk that the 5K might get extended, you know, let let that news go out. Let 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 one know. So they'll they leak it out bit by bit. You know, they'll leak it out to the news and say there might be an extension. You might get past your county border. Like that and that's what it is. So it's kind of like we're led by by news we're we're so news driven that they're trying to make a pandemic as sexy as possible like when Claire Byrne is on RTE doing a dramatic <laughs> talk about a man cutting his wife's hair and making shit of it and that's a headline news on Claire Byrne that's that just says it all that's where we're at you know and then they hand over to Neffet who go you know this pandemic is the most transmissible uh, disease that we've ever had in this country and basically we're all in the shit Okay, yeah, I get it. Um, Joanne, do we, like, here's, here's a question for you. Do we need all the COVID news? Is there too much of it? Could we do with less of it? And is having too much of it giving us more anxiety about it? Yeah, I definitely, like, I definitely was one of those people. I'd say my birthday is April. Um, so, yeah, past April, so around May time, I basically decided that whatever news I was going to get about COVID was going to be through whatever push notification was coming through my phone that day. Um, no, fortunately, there is a lot of them, so I'm not exactly crowded out um, or lot losing out in any regard. Uh, but you actually make a good point. I know a good friend of mine, she's she's actually a CEO of a company. She basically decided roughly 10 years ago that she was going to not read, listen, or be any way interactive with the news whatsoever. And she basically said the whole idea was that it doesn't really matter if I'm not watching or listening to the news. Someone is going to tell me the news anyway. So someone's going to come up to her and be like, geez, did you see what was on RT last night? No, I didn't. Well, blah, blah, blah. This is on RT. You know, Claire Byrne doing her thing. Um, you know, all the different stuff going on. 
So she basically had said, there's no, you don't even have to watch the news because it's literally all around you. People are going to say it. People are going to tell you, you know, people are going to do this. People can do that. And I suppose like you, I, I, at the start I was, I was a bit like, geez, you know, like here's me like writing about sport and all these really cool stories. And yet in the background, people are dying. Like literally on a page, it would be like, Joanne interviews Bob Rotella, golf psychologist, page one, two deaths in COVID today. And you're like, I don't know, is that very appropriate, you know, for me to be sitting interviewing Bob Rotella being like, so who do you think is going to win the Masters, Bob? You know, like that kind of thing. But eventually then I realized, I suppose this is what we learned in criminology when I was in college. It's a form of escapism and it's a form of escapism that people do need in general, because if you are so bombarded, you know, with negativity, then it'll it'll drain you like it'll just wear you down. And I suppose on the flip side, something that I did learn from Bob Rotella and other sports psychologists with that, the other thing you can get yourself with tied into is a thing called toxic positivity where you basically just are so positive and you're so upbeat and you're so outgoing that any single form of a negative feeling that pops up inside you, you know, comes and you're like, no, 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 I'm so positive all the time. I'm just going to suppress that. And then eventually it boils over and bubbles into something else. But I think we are definitely struggling in trying to find the happy narrative. Like, I don't know about you, Suzanne, or even you, Mario. Like, my parents are like one o'clock news. They're the hourly news on the radio. They listen to that and they'll turn it up every single time. They're the half five news on Virgin. Then they're the six o'clock news on RT, just in case anything has changed in that half hour. Then they're the nine o'clock news. And if they're in the mood, they might watch the plus one on RT at 10 o'clock. Like they're watching news like every single day of the week. And I think really it is just a generation of people who are just so obsessed with the news. Like I definitely find with my kind of groups in my generation, like the, the interest just isn't there like as much, you know, as you said, it's all about finding it out on Twitter, TikTok, you know, whatever notification is coming in. So yeah. I do think there's a happy medium. And I think yeah. COVID has definitely pushed us yes. into a, an insane version of what could possibly happen. Yes, yes. And my wife doesn't really listen to any of it at all. She just, uh, she just says, what, she said exactly what you said. Whatever happens and whatever is discussed, we will find out about it by tomorrow somehow. I don't have to go looking for it. It'll, be, it'll become aware, I'll become aware of it. I just think that something, some t- somehow on RTE, for example, um, and this is not to do down RTE, but I do think they're overdoing it on the, uh, the amount of COVID uh, coverage they've been giving over the last uh, 13 months. Um, and I think sometimes it can get a bit lazy. The only relief they get from it actually is Ronan Collins. Ronan Collins comes on at about 12 midday and he goes, Hi, Ronan Collins here off to the Angeles. We'll have the lockdown lunchtime loosener upper. It's called the lunchtime lockdown loosener upper. It's where he plays... He basically doesn't play, um, you know, the fields of Athenroy anymore. He plays like, do the hucklebuck, you do the hucklebuck. And at the end of it, he goes, I hope you enjoyed that workout for today. <laughs> I'm just thinking, is this the only workout the listeners of RTE have had? Ronan's lunchtime lockdown loosener fucking upper. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Okay, listen, let's leave it there. Um, Suzanne Kane, thank you very much for joining me. And Joanna Reardon, as always, thanks a million for joining me on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Bye, guys. And that's it for another week from the Mario Rosenstock podcast. We've some brilliant guests and sketches in the pipeline um, coming up in the next few weeks. So make sure to tune in to the next episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. If you're enjoying the series so far, press follow and subscribe for free and tell all your friends. Take it easy. See you next week. (laughs) 